Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, find a podcast link, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Radio Havana Cuba, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with France 24. India is experiencing an unprecedented heat wave, creating more demand for electricity, 70% of which is derived from burning coal. There were May Day rallies across France calling for wage increases and to stop the plan to raise the retirement age. France 24 India is still sweltering under a heat wave. Temperatures of over 40 degrees Celsius, more than 105 Fahrenheit, pushed electricity demand to a record high in April. It's also led to increasingly frequent power cuts and led the government to at least temporarily reverse a commitment to reduce its dependence on coal. Karen Lambolet reports. The unprecedented heat wave in India has been taking a toll, sending demand for electricity through the roof and threatening to disrupt essential services. Businesses have also been hard hit, with frequent, sometimes scheduled, power cuts interrupting workflow. The heat wave has shown a spotlight on just how reliant India is on coal, which produces 70% of the country's electricity. Last week, more than 700 passenger train journeys were canceled to allow more freight trains to move coal from mines to power plants. Supplies at more than half of India's coal plants are critically low. Experts say this resulted at least in part from poor forecasting. While the immediate crisis could break once the heat subsides, Difficulties will be compounded with the start of the monsoon season next month, when heavy rains could further interfere with mining and supplies. Demand for electricity in India, Asia's third largest economy, is expected to increase more than anywhere else in the world over the next 20 years. Police in Paris fired tear gas to push back protesters who ransacked businesses here in the French capital on Sunday during May Day rallies. Most of the demonstrations elsewhere were peaceful, with thousands of people joining protests calling for salary increases and for freshly re-elected President Emmanuel Macron to drop his plans to raise the retirement age. Here's Caris Garland with the details. One week after France's presidential election, the May Day protest in Paris was sure to draw an animated crowd. About 24,000 people took part, an increase of roughly 7,000 compared to last year. They called for salary increases and for Emmanuel Macron to scrap his plan to raise the retirement age. In the president's first term, there were unacceptable reforms. Reforming unemployment benefits in the middle of a pandemic, lowering the rights of all unemployed people is scandalous. I hope our candidates will be able to raise the issue of working conditions for employees and the deplorable condition of our health sector. 
Macron, who won 58% of last week's vote, is under pressure to listen to citizens more in his second term. Voters' number one concern is the rising cost of living and looks to remain that way ahead of parliamentary elections in June. A host of left-wing party leaders attended Sunday's rally, including Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who came third in the first round of the presidential vote. Mélenchon wants to lead a coalition to secure a majority in the National Assembly. Never have we entered parliamentary elections in such good conditions as now. We have given a guarantee to each of those who come to discuss with us that they will have a group in the National Assembly. While most protesters were peaceful, police clashed with a number of rioters who ransacked banks and other businesses. According to the Interior Ministry, eight police officers and firefighters were injured. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com. They also have a YouTube channel called France 24 English. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. A brief report on May Day around the world and its history. Oil company profits are soaring and the UN Secretary General criticized them. Then a viewpoint about Press Freedom Day and what is happening in the United States to alternative and independent media outlets that challenge the West reporting on events in Ukraine. Radio Havana, Cuba. Yesterday, Sunday, was May Day, International Workers' Day, commemorated every May, one every year. Demonstrations took place around the world with many protests against poor working conditions and low salaries. While May Day had its origins in the United States, the U.S. is one of only a few countries that does not celebrate the day. The date was chosen by the Second International to commemorate the Haymarket Massacre that occurred in Chicago in May of 1886. The Second International itself was an organization of socialist and labor parties formed on the 14th of July 1889 in Paris in meetings in which delegations from 20 countries participated. In Chicago in 1886, labor union activists were killed in a struggle for the eight-hour movement, eight hours for work, eight hours for recreation, and eight hours for rest. Chevron reported $6.3 billion in profits and ExxonMobil reported $5.5 billion in profits over the first three months of this year. Meanwhile, Antonio Guterres, United Nations Secretary General, has criticized how fossil fuel companies are responding to the conflict in Europe. He tweeted, quote, Fossil fuel interests are now cynically using the war in Ukraine to try to lock in a high carbon future. A shift to renewables is crucial to mending our broken global energy mix and offering hope to millions suffering climate impacts today. Press freedom, freedom of speech and democracy are all tenets that the United States government claims not only to uphold, but to champion. Their narrative, however, is a huge departure from reality, as it consistently targets independent and alternative media outlets and journalists who challenge its discourse or expose its lies. Most recently, PayPal has banned several anti-imperialist, progressive and independent media outlets and journalists. 
PayPal Holdings Incorporated is an American multinational financial technology company which operates a global online payment system. Many independent journalists and media outlets depend on such platforms to help fund their work. In an April 2 article by Cindy Harper for Reclaim the Net, a platform which, according to its website, defends free speech and individual liberty online to push back against big tech and media gatekeepers, she claims that PayPal banned the accounts of journalists and media companies that have published stories that contradict some of the West's reporting on the events in Ukraine, including Mimpress News, journalists Alan McLeod, Munar Adli, and Caleb Maupin. A similar article by Caitlin Johnston of the Orinoco Tribune notes that this form of censorship has been levied against, quote, alternative media voices who've been speaking critically against official U.S. empire narratives, including documenting the many ways skepticism of the U.S. government's version of events in the Ukraine conflict is being suppressed by Silicon Valley megacorporations, including financial censorship. Mint Press News Executive Director Manar Adli received the following message from PayPal. After a review, we decided to permanently limit your account as we found potential risks associated with it. As a result, we can no longer offer PayPal services to you. A day later, anonymous editors took aim at Mintpress News' Wikipedia page, according to staffer Dan Cohen, claiming that the organization fosters disinformation on the Ukraine conflict, supports the governments of Russia, Iran and Syria, opposes the governments of Israel and Saudi Arabia, and is an anti-Western conspiratorial website. Now, many independent journalists have called out PayPal's ban on Mintpress News and its associates for what it is economic terrorism. According to journalist, writer and filmmaker Benjamin Norton, this intellectual no-fly zone placed over telling the truth is a, quote, concerted campaign to starve anti-imperialist journalists of funding. This, he notes, is U.S. authoritarianism. And it's not surprising that the U.S. government see Mint Press News and outlets like it as a threat, given the premise of the organization, which is to, quote, go behind the headlines and take on the billionaire class and special interests like never before. On its website, it states that it is, quote, an independent watchdog journalism organization that provides issue-based original reporting, in-depth investigations, and thoughtful analysis of the most pressing topics facing our nation, with coverage focusing on issues relating to the effects of special interest groups, big business and lobbying efforts, and how they shape policies at home and abroad, including American foreign policy. Through the lens of social justice and human rights, we report on how these dynamics drive U.S. foreign affairs and impact the world, and examine the effects they have on our democracy and freedoms as defined by the Constitution. Now, according to Mint Press News Executive Director Manar Adli herself, PayPal's ban is, quote, blatant censorship of dissenting journalists and outlets. For the past decade, Mint Press News has been unapologetically working as a watchdog journalism outlet to expose the profiteers of the permanent war state. In the era of a declining U.S. empire, censorship has become the last resort of an unpopular regime and its forever wars to make the truth disappear and critical thinking all but dead. She points out how the U.S. government employs tech giants from Google, Twitter, Facebook, PayPal and YouTube to foster a single narrative and push the war doctrine for one sole purpose. 
to control the free flow of information and target the bank accounts of anyone who dares to question the official narrative of the Pentagon or State Department. Now, it's no secret that the powers that be don't want anyone scrutinizing their actions and, above all, their wrongdoings. Another prime example of the U.S. government's attack on truth and freedom is the attempted extradition and persecution of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, who the U.S. government has been hounding for over 10 years now for his role in exposing war crimes committed by the country under the George W. Bush administration. In probably the most notorious case of political censorship, the silencing of free speech and press persecution in the West in recent history, the hypocrisy of the U.S. government is once again exposed to the world. In fact, time and again, U.S. terrorist tactics have proved ineffective as activists and journalists committed to their craft, principles and the public continue to push back against censorship, lies and violence, finding alternative paths and methods to share information and stories the imperialist, capitalist, white supremacist class try to suppress. As Minar Adli herself notes, quote, No matter the war waged against us, we refuse to be backed into a corner and bullied. The only way forward is for people to unite and fund our own media because there are more of us than there are of them. For Radio Havana, Cuba, I'm Natalie Howard. Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. There's no podcast links up there, though. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. Next, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Reporters Without Borders say that media freedom in Russia has deteriorated this year, with the government blocking access to international and independent news sources concerning the war in Ukraine. What is the role of propaganda in a war? The leader of the European Commission has called for a ban in Europe of Russian oil, as well as banning three more Russian networks in Europe. Those are in addition to Sputnik Radio and Russia Today, which are already blocked. After many decades of pacifism, both Germany and Japan are changing their policy on offensive weapons and are developing rearmament plans. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The watchdog Reporters Without Borders says media freedom in Russia has deteriorated significantly this year. Moscow has clamped down on public protests like this one, remembering a dead journalist and activist. The Kremlin has made it illegal to spread what it calls false information about the war in Ukraine. Offenders face up to 15 years in jail. Many independent media outlets have stopped covering the conflict altogether to protect their journalists. Earlier I spoke to Christian Mir, he's the executive director of Reporters Without Borders in Germany. I asked him whether media freedom in Russia has now been eliminated in the wake of the war in Ukraine. I would not say that it's completely eliminated, but almost. We really observed a crackdown of the independent media landscape in most recent weeks, which was dramatically. And what we observed actually that many journalists, many complete newsrooms in Russia left Russia, sought exile very often in neighboring countries, even if many of them now want to come to Germany. 
Now, I want to bring up a statement that Dmitry Muratov issued on the occasion of World Press Freedom Day today. Muratov is the editor-in-chief of the Russian newspaper Novaya Gazeta that was forced to suspend its activities. And he won last year's Nobel Peace Prize. And Muratov said, in the absence of free media, propaganda always starts preparing for war. Propaganda is the kitchen of war. Propaganda is war itself. Christian, how big a role are disinformation and propaganda playing in the war in Ukraine? The current war not differs very much from other wars, um, as you actually indicate, that actually propaganda, um, yeah, is actually part of this war. Of course, it has been a war which has been started by Russia. And so the, the distribution of lies of Russian propaganda is pretty prominent and pretty obvious. But of course, as well, the Ukrainian government does PR. I mean, that is what actually happens during a war. So that's why it's even more important that we empower, that we support independent journalism, both in Russia and in Ukraine. And that's why we at Reporters Without Borders, for example, initiated the JX Fund, where we try to support independent media like the newly established media of Novaya Gazeta Europe um, and, and many others. We, we have to face a reality that many, many, almost most of the Russian media have been cracked down. They have been either censored or are blocked for ordinary Russian citizens. Why? That's why we have to support Russian citizen um, with, with, with the access to technology, which tries to, which enables them to circumvent these blocks. That's what we as our reporters without borders try to do um, with our um, action collateral freedoms. That is where we unblock websites. That's what Deutsche Welle itself does, unblocking its Russian website. We try to promote as well VPNs for Russia. But of course, we have to support independent journalism, which mostly now happens in exile. Now, the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has called on the EU to ban oil imports from Russia. She proposed a phase-out that would end payments to Moscow by the end of the year. The 27 member states would all have to support such a ban. An agreement on that may be difficult to reach. Several EU countries get most of their oil from Russia. But those backing the embargo say anything less is helping fund Russia's war on Ukraine. Stepping up the pressure on Russia, Ursula von der Leyen chose the European Parliament, the lawmakers, who represent the EU citizens, to drop her big announcement. Today we will propose to ban all Russian oil from Europe. This will be a complete import ban on all Russian oil seaborne and pipeline, crude and refined. We will make sure that we phase out Russian oil in an orderly fashion. The plan is to phase out oil by the end of 2022. Hungary and Slovakia, which are very dependent on Russian oil, will be granted longer transition periods. Besides the oil ban, von der Leyen also presented other sanctions in her sixth package. The European Commission now wants to take off Sparebank, Russia's largest bank, from the SWIFT financial transaction system. And the plan is also to target military officials involved in the atrocities in Mariupol and in Bucha. And three Russian media outlets will be banned from European airwaves for spreading misinformation, in addition to Sputnik and Russia Today. 
After decades of pacifism, Germany recently shifted policy by authorizing sales of heavy weaponry to Ukraine and by increasing its defense budget. Now Japan is considering taking similar steps. A promotional video showing Japan's navy at work. A thinly veiled advertisement for the Japanese government's rearmament plans. The sea may look peaceful, the narrator says, but the world is changing. Japan also feeling the effects of Russia's military aggression. Shigeru Ishiba is a former minister for defense and one of the most prominent voices calling for Japan to rearm. It's true, the war in Ukraine has woken up the Japanese people. They're thinking about how to better protect their country. The alliance between Chinese President Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin has unsettled the region. As China has grown more powerful, calls for the purchase of offensive weapons are getting louder in Japan. Whether it's China or another nation, every country that knows we possess offensive weapons and can defend ourselves will adapt its behaviour towards us. The horrors of Hiroshima have shaped the country's military policy for decades. Pacifism is written into Japan's constitution. But Japan's new Prime Minister Fumio Kishida is willing to change that. He is close to the military and has argued for Japan's right to own offensive weapons. He would try to sort of uh, draw inspiration from the German change uh, in order to make the same argument that, well, we are in a similar situation and Japan should also, you know, uh, now change its position and start to remilitarize more seriously. In 2020, Japan spent more than 45 billion euros on its military. That's met with resistance from peace activists. The trauma of the Second World War still weighs heavily on many. No more war, ever again. All my life I fought for that message. But here, as elsewhere in the world, Russia's war is accelerating rearmament. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a listener in Eugene, Oregon, did this week. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. A planned multi-billion dollar U.S. arms sale to Taiwan has been delayed because of increased demand for it in other parts of the globe. The Chinese Navy did more military drills with its warships in the western Pacific Ocean. Russian commanders complain that the West is filling Ukraine with weapons, so they are going to target train transport of the arms. More on the Japanese plans to increase military power 
with the assistance of the U.S. military, NHK Japan. The U.S. government's push to supply Ukraine with weapons appears to be impacting a major arms deal Washington brokered with Taiwan. In 2019, U.S. officials approved a $2.2 billion plan to supply Taiwan with 108 Abrams tanks, 250 Stinger surface-to-air missiles, 122 heavy machine guns, and ammunition. But a senior Taiwanese army official said on Tuesday a delivery of Stinger missiles scheduled for this year could be delayed. The officials cited changes to the global situation. On Monday, Taiwan Defense Ministry officials said the U.S. recently informed them artillery systems will not be delivered until 2026 at the earliest due to production problems. China's Navy says an aircraft carrier group has conducted combat training exercises in the Western Pacific. The People's Liberation Army Navy said Tuesday that warships led by the Liaoning carried out the drill in the open sea as part of a regular series of exercises organized annually. On Monday, Japan's defense ministry confirmed that the Liaoning and seven other ships passed between two islands in Japan's southwestern Okinawa prefecture. The PLA said the training was in accordance with international law and practice and did not envisage a specific adversary. But the exercise is a show of China's naval strength at a time when the administration of U.S. President Joe Biden is strengthening ties with Taiwan. Last month, Washington decided to sell defense equipment worth $95 million to Taiwan. Russian commanders have complained the West is stuffing Ukraine with weapons, so they've turned their guns on the sources of those arms. They're targeting railways and other supply chains. The Russians have zeroed in on Lviv, a city to the west near the Polish border. Some units have disabled infrastructure for railroads. They've fired on power lines and knocked out electricity. The United States and its NATO allies are continuing to pump weapons into Ukraine. I want to mention that we view any NATO transport arriving on the territory with weapons or materials destined for the Ukrainian army as a legitimate target to be destroyed. Japanese leaders are planning to shore up national defenses. They've agreed to work together on security with their allies in the U.S. We have no time to lose in fundamentally reinforcing Japan's defense capabilities and strengthening the alliance capabilities to deter and respond. In the talks at the Pentagon, Kishinobu and Lloyd Austin reaffirmed their countries, along with South Korea, will continue to work closely on North Korea. They agreed Pyongyang's repeated missile launches pose a serious threat and can't be tolerated. The two also strongly condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Austin said China's recent behavior poses a profound challenge to the common norms, values and institutions underpinning the international order. He said the U.S. will strengthen its alliance with Japan to realize a free and open Indo-Pacific. Let me reaffirm our wavering commitment to the defense of Japan and to include our extended deterrence commitments using our full range of conventional and nuclear capabilities. Kishi said given the present global situation, it's become more crucial than ever for Tokyo and Washington to ensure their deterrence power is reliable.
Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. Unfortunately, you have to look a lot harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's www.outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. This shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.